God is at work in your life. God's at work right now all over the world. God's at work right now all over the Pine Belt. And whether you believe it or not, whether you recognize it or not, God's at work right now in you. And I, I want us to stop for just a second and imagine what that could be like. God's working to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ from the inside out to set us free from our sins, from everybody else's opinion. God's working right now on the inside out to change you. And imagine, imagine what it would be like if He's able to finish the job. Imagine what it will be like as we give more and more and more of ourselves to Him. R right now, in our elementary school years, right now at Southern Miss, right now this year in high school, right now and wherever you live or work, what if you let God do exactly what He wanted to do in you, to transform you, to change you, to form you into the image of Jesus? Our sermon today is going to be about prayer. And I want you to know from your pastor today that this is an area in my life that I want God to keep changing me. I'm not the man that I want to be in prayer, but I know that the bend that I want to be, the person that I see in my future when I try to follow Christ in my imagination is a man of great prayer. And I want God to move me from where I am to where He wants me to be. But I want Him to bring all of us along. I want God to transform us by changing the way we connect with Him. I want us to have eyes of faith where we see not just the world in front of us, but things that are only visible through eyes of faith. And I believe that all of those things are impossible until we become women and men of prayer. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. As you turn your Bibles, I want you to be aware of what the church is trying to accomplish. We've called ourselves to a season of intentionality, of focus. We want to be healthy for Jesus' sake. We want to be great commissioned disciple makers. And so our focus for the next five years is that in five years' time, we want to see the congregation of Carterville, every one of you, high schoolers to retirees, we want to see everybody in here laboring for Jesus to transform 5,000 families in the Pine Belt. We want to touch 5,000 people for Jesus' sake, to impact their life, to change their future with Jesus. In order to do that, we've got to be spiritually formed into the image of Jesus. We've got to be a kingdom of priests. None of us can be off-duty. If this church will live up to our calling in the Pine Belt, we have all got to be engaging God, every one of us. And so I'm calling you to Mark chapter 9, to a story about prayer. I want to read a couple of quotes before I dive into our text today. E.M. Bounds said a few things about prayer, and I want to read a couple of his quotes. So here's an E.M. Bounds quote about prayer. It says, Praying is a spiritual work, and human nature does not like taxing spiritual work. Human nature wants to sail to heaven under a favoring breeze, a full, smooth sea. Prayer is humbling work. It abases intellect and pride. It crucifies vainglory and it signs our spiritual bankruptcy. And all these are hard for flesh and blood to bear. That's a good word. I'll summarize that. I'm from Sugarlock, Mississippi, and so to put that in Sugarlockies, it's hard to pray because in the flesh we want to go be busy. We want to do shallow, simple things that give us immediate results, instant pleasure, immediate gratification. But prayer is a work of the Spirit. But I promise us that if we engage the work of the Spirit and allow Christ to transform us through prayer, we will be forever changed. And you will become the woman or the man that God designed you to be. And here's the challenge. I don't think there's any other way 
to become the people that God wants us to be without praying. Another quote before we dive off into the sermon. Our habit, our, we can habituate ourselves to our beggarly praying until it looks well to us. At least it keeps us a, a decent form and quiets conscience. The deadliest of opiates. We can slide our praying and not realize the peril to the foundations are gone. Right, let me just pause. Ian Bounds lived a long time ago. He says things much prettier than I do. But to Sugarlock ease that one, a lot of us have learned to say three prayers when we sit down in front of a bowl of cereal, a sandwich, or dinner and say that we're people of prayer. A, a lot of us have learned to put our heads on our pillows at night and say, uh, God, I want to thank you for this day, and I want to thank you for everything you did today, and uh, please help all the people out there. Amen. And we call ourselves people of prayer. In other words, we have learned these lower forms, this beggarly praying and we we call ourselves people of prayer but if we in, interacted with any other human being that we love on as base and low a level we would not call it a relationship if we interacted with our girlfriend or our husband if we interacted with a spouse or a child a teacher a co-worker a best friend or even your basketball team on the same low level of um, hey I just uh, want to thank you for lunch and that's about all they get Number one, there's no relationship. And number two, nobody's being transformed. So let's dive off into some place we've never been before. Let's covenant as a church today to become people of prayer. Let's see what would happen if we gave the rest of our lives to seeking God. Even if it's hard work, even if we have to discipline ourselves, even if we have to draw on the Spirit of God and beg God to do something in us that our flesh doesn't want to do. Let's see what happens when we become people of prayer. And not just become preoccupied with things of the world or the flesh. When we become preoccupied with God's opinion and His counsel, His wisdom, being shaped by the Lord Almighty. Let me show you a beautiful picture. This is a place that I love. I've never spent the night here, but I've been here several times. These cabins are situated in the Smoky Mountains. Here's a picture of Leconte Lodge, five and a half miles up any trail you want to take in the Smokies to the top of Mount Leconte. This is a neat place. It's a neat place. Raise your hand if you know about Leconte Lodge or ever, ever walked there. A few of you have got some hands going up. Lynn's and I first learned about Leconte Lodge. We were, we were uh, fairly young in our marriage and we're taking a vacation. We were hiking up, this, up the mountain, and a gentleman said, Hey, listen. Uh, my family has a couple extra rooms at the lodge on top of the mountain. You want to stay there tonight, we'll give it to you for free. We said, thanks, but we've got to be at church in the morning, because we did, in Townsend, Tennessee. So we said no, and we've regretted that for a long time, because this is a neat, neat place. Let me tell you about it. So this, this lodge has been in the Smoky Mountains for quite a while, but it's the only overnight accommodations that you can find in the Smokies that aren't just a tent or a roof over, over, over a stone shelter. It's a really neat place. It's uh, well over $100 a night for you to stay there. They cook you a great meal, and they cook you breakfast in the morning. Now, there's no electricity. There's no water tower. All they have is kerosene and wells and serenity. But you get to spend the night in a place that few ever go. You get to wake up with the sunrise greeting you across the Smoky Mountains. You get to sit on cliff tops and watch the sun go down and say farewell to the world. You get to sit alone on top of the world in Tennessee. And you know you've done something, but here's the catch. There's no way to get to LeConte Lodge except to hike it. We sit here as a church and we say, let's do that. Hey, babe, for vacation, let's go there. 
you can't drive to it. You can drive to a trailhead at the base of the mountain. And five and a half miles later, you'll make it. In fact, at the beginning of the season, to bring all the fresh linens and things like that that they need to launch their season, they bring helicopters in, drop things. After that, they have a pack of llamas. And if you work there while you're in college for the summertime, you run down the trails with the llamas, you load them up in Gatlinburg, and turn around and go back up the trails with fresh linens and a new supply of food and whatever else we need for the next week. And the only way up is five and a half miles on foot. I think LeConte Lodge says something to me, though, about the Ben Skipper I want to be and the person I want you to be. There are some places that you could go that you can only get there by walking uphill, right? That you can only get there with some real work involved. But would it be worth it? Oh my gosh, would it ever be worth it? I don't want to live an average life for the rest of my life. I don't want to be a cultural Christian. I don't want to sit a distance from God. I really want to know God. I want to be changed by Him. I want to experience Him and be impacted by Him. I want to meet Him one day in judgment and see a smile on His face when He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I don't think you get there without an uphill climb. And I think prayer is an awful lot like LeConte Lodge on top of Mount LeConte. Prayer's not going to happen at an ATM. There is no drive through window for prayer. You can't text it to yourself. You can't order it with next day shipping. Like the only way to make this happen, five and a half miles uphill, the only way to make real change happen is to learn the hard work of becoming a woman or a man of prayer. But it is a mistake that I make in my life, and I bet we all do. And so as we try to be a church that will impact 5,000 people, and as we try to be individuals who are full of God, changed into the image of Christ, We've got to learn to become people of prayer. Now, the good news is that doesn't mean you have to become a, a pastor. In fact, I don't think Jesus is impressed with pastoral praying, with big, pretty prayers, with fancy words. No, no. In my Sunday school lesson this morning, and all of us are lining our Sunday school lessons up because this is important to us to talk about this spiritual formation that has to happen if we're going to reach the pine belt. In my lesson this morning, we learned that God is not impressed with big, fancy words. Anybody can learn to pray. If you can love, you can pray. If you can enjoy the presence of somebody else, you can pray. If you can communicate at all, you can pray. You don't have to be impressing anybody with big words. And so let's dive in and see what happens. In this text, Jesus has just come from the Mount of Transfiguration and he meets a, a boy who's oppressed by a demon. Mark 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. The they here is Peter, James, John, and Jesus. They just went to the Mount of Transfiguration. For a few minutes, they saw dead men raised and communing with Christ. They saw Jesus transform into his glorified state. They saw God descend and speak to them and surround them all around them. In other words, they saw a snapshot of the kingdom of heaven. And Peter, James, and John said, Jesus, let's just stay. Wouldn't it be great if you could have the kingdom of heaven without the crucifixion? But Jesus knew better. They come down off the mountain. The four of them encounter the disciples. And now verse 15, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. And I wonder why they're so excited to see Jesus. They've got a problem. Verse 16, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is 
possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, verse 19, Jesus offers a scolding. And it's kind of rare to find words just like this on the lips of Jesus. A few times to religious leaders or hypocrites, to church-going folks who are too judgmental. But here's one of those scoldings from Christ. Look in verse 19. You unbelieving generation, that is faithless, without faith. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. In other words, The disciples were unable to accomplish something Jesus thought they should have accomplished. He calls them people who lack faith, but then he's going to take care of the needs of the boy. He says, all right, bring me the young man. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. This young man, oppressed by a demon, and the oppression that the demon brought to this child was physical in nature, since him convulsing in the seizures, he's tried to destroy his life. It's a great picture, honestly, of a thousand evils that the devil would love to bring your way, from demonic oppression to addiction to any road that the Lord would love to see you stay off of. Well, this child, his suffering from the devil, as the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy, was these seizures, physical manifestation of the evil. But I wonder what kind of evil you and I have had to fight off. I wonder if there's evil in our life right now that's even maybe causing our prayerlessness, our pride, or a sin that we don't want to speak to the Lord about. Verse 22 It's often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Can you imagine this father's life? I mean, just for a second, can you imagine with me what on earth would it be like if this child from birth has been oppressed by this demonic power? That it has thrown him into the water to drown him. It's thrown him into a fire to burn him. That you've been the dad that on more than one occasion has had to jump into a fire to pull your son out. That more than one time you've jumped into a lake to pull your son out. That you're constantly worried if a fit will happen, if the demon will seize him again. You don't know how long your periods of clear thinking are with your son. You don't know how much time you've got until it comes back. Can you imagine this father rescuing again and again and again and again his precious son until one day that son met King Jesus, somebody who could transform and change him from the inside out, somebody that ultimately could rescue him. So the man looked at Jesus and said, if you can do anything, take pity on him. Help us. Now look at verse 23. I almost see Jesus with a little snarky twinkle in his eye, a little smirk on his face. The man says, if you can help us, do anything. Have pity on us. If you can help us, help us. And Jesus said, if you can, you know, Jesus says, if you can, said Jesus. And then Jesus gives him a little lesson. Hey, listen, everything is possible For the one who believes. Now remember, he just called the disciples an unfaithful, unbelieving generation. So I think when he says that, he looks at them and says, anything is possible for people who have faith. Thomas, right? 
So the man's getting a lesson, the disciples are getting a lesson, and the boy's getting saved, rescued, his life changed, transformed from the inside out. Let's watch how all this happens. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. (laughs) I love the guy because he's honest, right? So you got this guy that looks at Jesus and he says, I've got faith, I believe. Okay, all right, Um, help me with my unbelief. I think he's telling the truth, though, and I think he's saying what a lot of us say. God, I do believe, but I'm also aware of a war inside me. There's a part of me that suffers, that struggles to believe. I I believe, but there's a part of me that doesn't. Will you help me with that part of me that lacks faith and let let all of me have faith? So this father looks at Jesus, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I can't tell you how many times I've had to come to Jesus in the same state of mind. I believe, okay, but help me with my unbelief. And I'm telling you that it's okay for you to come to Jesus in that place today. If you've been out of church for a while or away from church or never visited a church until today, it's fine for you to look at God and say, I want to believe in you. Help me believe. So this father looks at Jesus and says, I believe. Now help me with my unbelief. In verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. In other words, he doesn't want a crowd. Jesus is not doing this for show. He's not trying to... Stir something up in the village. And it's not time for him to be made the king. He has the cross to endure first. So now that the crowd is coming, the teaching session has to come to a close. And so he rebukes the spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed and violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, Whew, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, he lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. I look forward to the day in the kingdom of heaven when all demons are cast into the lake of fire, when evil is come to a total end, when illnesses are cured with the word of Christ in a moment's notice. And until then, I thank God for every miracle that he brings us, for every moment of freedom. But as the war between the flesh and the spirit, between good and evil, between God and the devil, rages on towards eternity... Until then, we will suffer and struggle. And I'm going to tell you today that prayer is your weapon. Prayer is how you'll stand strong and stay firm. Not just that, but prayer is how you will be fit to help anybody else that you come across. And I want to show you how. I'm going to show you where I see this. As we walk away from the scene, there's a father weeping, thrilled to have his son back. There's a child who for the first time can walk with no fear of the demon that has nagged at him all his life, getting its hands on him again. There's a crowd running to see the show who's saying, what happened? Did anybody see? Did anybody catch that? And there's a group of disciples with their head down, watching their toes, saying, what did we do wrong? How come it didn't work? And there's Jesus, right in the middle, saving the boy, giving the father a son back, and teaching everybody that wants to follow him something that we need to learn. Look in verse 28, he's going to go inside and teach us a lesson. After Jesus had gone indoors, in other words, away from the crowd, inside a home where he could teach safely to those who he wants to know, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Now, if you've been reading Mark's gospel, you would see that they have already driven demons out. This is an ability that Jesus had already taught the disciples. I mean, I know that for me, I would say, I know why I can't drive a demon out. I I mean, I mean, come on, I 
gosh, I don't know. But these guys, they'd already been with Jesus. They'd seen him cast demons out of people. And in this moment of the kingdom, when Jesus is walking through Galilee, kicking Satan out of it, the disciples had already been given the authority to do this. Why did they fail this time? Verse 29, And he replied to them, This kind can come out only by prayer. Now, if you're reading the King James Bible today, it says prayer and fasting. And I love that. Let's fast. So Jesus says to his disciples, This kind can come out only by prayer. I've got three things I want to talk to the church about as we get ready to go and serve the Lord for a week of ministry. The first is discipleship. In Mark's gospel, these 12 men are trying to learn who is the Messiah so that they can live for the Messiah. But they have to take a long look at a suffering Savior that came to be broken on a cross to die. It's not what anybody imagined the Messiah would do. But in this moment of discipleship, they're going to learn a key lesson, something they've got to know. Listen, it's something we've got to know. See, discipleship is that you're learning to learn what Jesus does so that you can do what Jesus does. You're learning what Jesus does so you can do what Jesus does. Well, they've got to learn how to cast out demons so they can cast out demons, and they thought they already knew how. They'd done it a few times. They thought they had this one figured out. What do we learn about discipleship? Let me ask ask you. In your process of becoming like Jesus... In your process of following Christ, where are you? Like in your spiritual growth, are you learning from Jesus so that you can be like Jesus? I mean, if, if we'd walked up on this boy, would we have wanted to help? Would we have had the ability to help? Let me, let me, let me hit you with this. Hey, gang, every Sunday from now on till forever, when we walk out those doors, we're scattering for mission. We gather for worship. We scatter for mission. Are you in a position to help anybody spiritually this week? Like if, some, if God sends somebody to you, can you give them counsel? Can you share the gospel? Can you meet their needs? Can you give them a word of wisdom? Will you, will you have the emotional depth to give them the empathy that they need today? And th- that depends on this. Are you formed in God's image this week? Are you spending enough time with God that He is able to shape you so He can unleash you on the world? Because here's the deal. If you're cheating your prayer life, then you're not being changed by God. And that means that when you encounter somebody this week, you're only going to have that much to give them. Like, where is the word of wisdom that you would have if you had read your scriptures and sat in the council of God this morning? It's gone. Like, where's the depth? Where's the prod? Now, so what I'm telling you is that you have got more to give But the you that the world needs is the you that is shaped by God in prayer. They're learning to learn from Jesus so that they can do what Jesus did. They're learning to cast out demons so that they can cast out demons. Well, you may not cast out demons this week, but you've got to do what Jesus wants to be done. You're His body, His hands, and His feet. You are the physical presence of Jesus still at work in the world today. He is our head and we are His body. And so as we go out, we, we are no better than Christ, and He's about to teach us a lesson of what it takes to be able to do His work. A second thing I want to talk to you about, not just discipleship, which we're focused on for the next six weeks, but I want to talk about faith. In Matthew's Gospel, the same story, Jesus tells them that you couldn't cast this demon out because of your lack of faith. Well, in, even in Mark's version of the story, when Jesus looks at the disciples and rebukes, He says... Oh, you faithless generation, unbelieving folks. Well, who is faithless? Is it the Father? I don't think so. 
The Father did just say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. But He just represents all of us, I suppose. I don't know. I feel that Jesus may be looking at the disciples. There was their lack of faith that couldn't help the boy. But specifically, and I want you to hear me say this, their faith, everybody listen, was directly connected to their prayers. At the end of the story, Jesus told the disciples, this kind can only come out through what? Prayer. In other words, when you had the opportunity to help this boy, you didn't pray. Now, do we, does he mean that you didn't pray to ask God for help to cast the demon out? Maybe he did. Or could he mean that you guys haven't been praying on the days that I've been gone on the mountain? And I can tell that I've come down to an empty tank. You had nothing to give. I don't know. Maybe it's both. Why not think of it as both? I want to be prayed up on a daily basis so that God can, God can use me, shape me, fill me, and send me out. But also, when I encounter somebody that has a need, I want to go straight to God in prayer. Here's what I think happened, and I don't know if this is what they did, but this is why I'm found faithless sometimes. So these disciples, they'd cast out demons before. And here comes a boy with a demon. Jesus is gone. They're the only hope. Well, he's shown them how to do this. I think that they didn't pray. I think that they didn't act in faith. I think that they didn't depend on God. Here's what I think. I think they've become a lot like me. I think they said, listen, I know how to do this. Jesus has done this a dozen times. We've watched it. We know what he says. He says something like, what's your name? And after they say, he says, you know, get out of that boy. Well, let's do what he did. I think they had enough confidence in their abilities, in their person, in their skill, that they didn't engage God in prayer, that they didn't act in faith. In other words, sadly enough, I think the disciples lived like I live a lot of the time. They thought, oh, now that God has helped us do this a few times, we don't need His help anymore. We'll be just fine. We can cast the demon out on our own. We can witness on our own. We can save our marriage on our own. We can overcome our addiction on our own. We can get rid of our pride on our own. We can help our grades on our own. We can discover a career path on our own. We can get over our anger problem on our own. Now that we know how to do it, we don't need them anymore. I think the disciples encountered a demon. And having cast out demons before, they thought, we know how to do it. And they didn't call on the Father. And when Jesus got there, he easily cast the demons out. And the one thing he teaches them in Mark's gospel is prayer, guys. This can only happen through prayer. That's the third thing I want to share with you is that this church family, this can only happen through prayer. Impacting 5,000 families, making 25,000 connections with people this year as a church, like trying to change the world. That can only happen through prayer. Listen, we can sit in here every Sunday. like We can fill the auditorium up, and we can sing, and we can have sermons, and we can have Sunday school. We can fill the place up every Sunday without prayer, but we walk out unchanged, cold, religious hypocrites. But if we are going to change the world with the freshness of God's Spirit, if we're going to be like Christ and we're going to bring anything to anybody that will actually transform them, that can't happen unless we pray. You'll never get to Mount Leconte without walking five miles up a hill, and we will never be the church we want to be until our fifth graders start seeking God in prayer, until our 50-year-olds start calling out to God in prayer. Don't think you're too young to pray. 
Don't think you're too far from God to pray. Don't make the mistake the disciples made and think that you know God so well and you know the drill so well that you don't need to stop and pray. Gang, we can't do any of this without Him. We can go out and try, but it'll be a fool's errand, a cold religious shell of what God wanted. The only way that I believe that we're going to become the women and the men that God wants us to be is that He gets to change us. And here's the thing. How does God change us? Through prayer. Our point of intimate contact with God is prayer. The most transforming minutes of your day is through prayer. I'll ask you this. What if, what if I was so good that I could make a magic chair? What if I had the ability to make a magic chair? If I could make a magic chair so that it worked like this, that after I'd prayed over it and anointed it with oil and done all the things I'm supposed to do, that if you sat in this chair, no phone, no TV, just you in this chair, that if you sat in this chair for 10 minutes every day, if you sat in this chair for 10 minutes, didn't talk to anyone else, didn't get distracted by your technology, but you could make a rule that you would sit in this chair, in my magic chair, for 10 minutes. If I could promise you that this chair would work and that in 10 minutes of sitting this prayer in this chair, your self-esteem would change. That you'd become stronger on the inside. That your patience would begin to grow. That your fuse would begin to get longer and your anger would begin to dissolve. What if, what if I could promise you that if you sat in this, in this magic chair for 10 minutes every day, Sometimes you'd have ideas about how to love your spouse and why your spouse should matter to you. Or that sometimes you'd have ideas about what God wants you to do for the rest of your life or what you're trying to find your career path. What if I could have a magic chair that if I promise that if you sit in that magic chair every day, that things will get better. That you'll change a little bit. That every day, you'll be a better, better you. That you'd have more clarity of mind, more wisdom, more spiritual power. What if I could promise that I'd give you a magic chair, chair? Ten minutes every day you sit in the chair. Better, better, better. Could you do it? Would you do it? Would you sit in my magic chair if I gave you a magic chair? There's a part of me that says, well, who wouldn't, right? We know that if we sit every morning alone with God and speak to Him, pour out our heart to Him, ask Him His opinion of us, we know that if we commune with God in prayer for 10 minutes every morning, it'll do everything that my magic prayer chair has promised. But we don't. And what I'm calling our church to today is really simple. Jesus told the disciples this can only happen through prayer. And I'm convinced that I'm only going to be the person God wants me to be when I become a man of prayer. And so I'm calling our children, our college students, our adults, our whole church. Would you give prayer another chance? Would you become a woman and a man of prayer? Would you seek God on this? In our Sunday school classes today, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. We learned about Christ's teachings on prayer. Would you take that book back out, rethink it, go through it again? But I'm asking everybody in this church today, as we try to make an impact on the world, 5,000 families impacted, 
Would you become a person of prayer so that you would have the strength to bear it, the obedience to carry it out, and a sensitivity enough of the Holy Spirit to know where to go? As we wrap up this sermon today, I just want to call you. If you're lost today, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, and you watched Breeze baptized, and you thought, gosh, I, I want to know that I'm right with God, then I want to ask you to come down today and share it. I want to ask you to come tell me about that so that I can celebrate with you and find a time to baptize you. If you're already with Christ and God's put something on your heart, come forward, share it with me. Come pray at the altars. But the call for everybody is this. I'm inviting you to my magic chair. I'm inviting you to the chair of prayer. Now, you don't have to come down and sit in this one. You've got one at your house. But what I'm asking you is, as you worship the Lord this morning to wrap up this service, everyone who's old enough to think straight, I'm talking about my five-year-olds and my 95-year-olds. Would you covenant to the Lord that you will be a person of prayer this week? That you'll let Him teach you how to pray? I'm asking you to put your prayer life before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask your grace on us as we seek to become a blessing to people that we meet. And we know, Lord, that we can't bless anyone if we are empty and needy ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you'd secure us that you would allow us, Lord, to be strong in you, that we'd find our self-identity in Christ Jesus, and that through prayer we'd understand your appraisal of ourselves, that we'd find strength and grace, mercy and forgiveness, that we'd find hope, Lord, that our time alone with you would begin to define us, that you would allow us the strength, Lord, to walk paths that we thought impossible before. We ask your blessing, Lord. We ask your grace, and I pray as our church family puts their lives in front of you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would anoint us for a ministry of prayer. We ask your grace on that in Jesus' name.